This is Zealous, an in-depth look behind the scenes of legal matters straight from the attorneys of Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown. Welcome to Zealous. I'm your host, Brianna Meyer, and this is the place to immerse yourself in the legal world. To start off on kind of a side note, we're recording this ahead of time, and hopefully by the time the episode comes out, the Milwaukee Bucks will be national champions. We are big Bucks fans here and are so excited about both the progress the team's made over the past couple years and where it will continue to go. And if for some reason on July 21st they are not national champions, there is still Game 7, and we have all the faith in the world in the box. Today on the podcast, we're discussing some issues that can arise when buying and selling homes with Russell Carnes. Russ is an associate here at GRGB and has a diverse civil litigation practice focused on real estate, property tax assessment appeals, contract and business disputes, quiet title actions, foreclosure and title insurance litigation, misrepresentation claims, collection actions, and municipal law. Russell also assists clients in their business, estate planning, and real estate transactions. Russ is one of those people who just makes you feel heard and understood and is definitely a good person to have on your side. There are a number of things that can go wrong when buying or selling property, especially right now with the way the housing market is, and Russ serves as a very knowledgeable guide through those issues. So Russ, as is secret to no one, the housing market is a little bananas right now. Indeed. And I think that a lot of people are buying and selling homes without taking the normal steps that people would take and making a lot of agreements without inspection and and things like that. But when the housing market is more normal, what's a typical transaction look like? What sort of documents are involved? Sure. Um, And I guess there's really two ways to look at that question. One is from the buyer side and the other would be from the seller side. So um, I suppose we can start from the buyer side um, because I think a lot of people, I think there's probably more people in the buyer's market right now than there are in the seller's market. Agreed. Um, A lot of people looking for houses and can't find them um, or are getting outbid by other buyers. Um, But from the buyer's side, I guess the documents that you're going to look at um, and if you're represented by a realtor or a, hopefully a lawyer, um, although that's pretty uncommon in Wisconsin uh, for buyers and even sellers to be represented by attorneys, mm-hmm. um, what you're going to be looking at is mainly um, a standard form called the WB-11, which is a residential offer to purchase. Um, and that is a document that is drafted by, uh, in cases where you're represented by a real estate agent, by your, by your realtor. Um, or by a lawyer. Um, And that's a standard form, and lawyers and real estate agents tend to use the form, um, the same Mm -hmm. form. And that is the document which basically creates the contract between the buyer and the seller. Yeah, and it's, I think it's one of those instances where the wheel works and why recreate it when you've got a good form that that can get you where you need to go. And it is a pretty decent form. I mean, there's some things that, depending on what side I'm looking at it from if I'm looking at it from the seller side or from the buyer side there are some things that I don't like about it mm-hmm. um, but it, it all depends on you know which side you're on the interesting thing about the form is that um, realtors are not 
technically allowed to make any changes to the document. They can add supplements to it, huh. um, but they're not supposed to be making changes to this document. This is what they have to use. So they have to work within this, this form. Um, and so it contemplates a lot of different things and not everything is going to apply to every transaction. And it is 10 pages long. So um, you oftentimes see um, addendums to the, the form and there mm -hmm. are different addendums that realtors tend to add. And for the, those listeners that might not know, when you say addendum, addendum what is are we basically about? like an attachment. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so there's attachments for various different types of inspections that people want to do, and then there's mm -hmm. a, a lead-based paint and lead um, disclosure that it's attached to as an addendum a lot, mm -hmm. um, and those are just basically modifications to the form um, in the form of another attached document. Yeah. Yep. Great. And I think well. It, Coming from when I purchased a home, it was nice to have my realtor to walk me through all of it because it's a, it is a lot. Like you said, it's 10 pages. There's a lot of information that doesn't apply. Um, and I think it's really important to have someone that can guide you through it. Definitely. I mean, and it does kind of spell out all of the different, um, you know, contingencies that buyers and sellers have included in, you know, in most real estate transactions. So, um, but it has the basic information too, like the purchase price, which is... Probably the most important thing. Yeah, for most <laughs> especially right now. Which, right. Ooh. yes. What about when you are the seller? Are there any documents that you've got to have filled out? So there's a big one, and um, it, it tends to be filled out. Uh, sometimes it gets filled out if you're represented by a real estate agent, and most people are when they're selling their house. They hire a realtor to list their house for them. Um, one of the forms that we see a lot of in this line of work is lawyers representing people after the fact, mm -hmm. um, after they've sold a house, is the real estate condition report. Yeah, and that's a big one. That's a big one. So that, that one is kind of created by statute. There's a Wisconsin statute, I believe it's in Chapter 709, um, that talks about the real estate condition report. And what that is is a, a number of pages which sellers are supposed to, although they're not required to, and we should remember that, um, complete when they are selling their property. And there's um, actually a statute that says that you're, you shall complete it um, mm -hmm. within, I think, I think it's 10 days within the offer to purchase being accepted. But um, the consequences are, of that are if you don't complete it, then this, the buyer can be back out of the deal, okay. basically. Um, and I can go into more detail yeah, about let's, some of the let's issues. Yeah, let's go through it a little bit because so. I think a lot of times when people come to us and come to you, it's because there's something wrong with the disclosure. Right. And I think, I mean, um, if you are working with a realtor, that's great. I mean, I love realtors. They do a mm -hmm. great job. They serve a great purpose. But they, you know, they're mostly in the business to make money off of selling real estate. Right. So their job is to advise you and mm -hmm. tell you, you know, this is how real estate transactions work, but they don't always see the bigger picture right. when it comes to litigation and some of the problems that we see mm -hmm. um, with this particular statute, which requires this particular form. So right. um, when, you're, when you're selling real estate, you're supposed to disclose any material defects or anything like that that you know about mm -hmm. um, related to the condition of the property. Right. Um, and this form provides a basis to do that. So it really talks about, you know, are there any defects in the roof? Are there any defects in the electrical system? And you go through kind of this 
yes or no, very simple answers mm -hmm. to very complex questions. Um, and so, you know, a lot of real estate litigation that we see on the residential side and also commercial um, relates to leaky basements. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of people in Wisconsin have basements that don't always stay dry or yeah. don't always stay dry 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and people are scared to not only disclose that issue, right? but also once they buy a house and they find a little bit of water in their basement, uh, especially first-time homeowners, um, they get scared as well. Yeah, and I mean, it is... Uh, it's something that is a reality of living in Wisconsin. We're lucky that, you know, we don't have to deal with hurricanes. We don't have to deal with things like that. But one thing that's a reality is your basement is probably going to flood at some point. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's whose fault is it at that point? I don't know. Right. And so, I mean, that's, that's honestly where a lot of real estate litigation that we see um, on the defense side um, and also the from the plaintiff side, mm -hmm. we get a lot of calls from people who have water in their basement. I mean, that's the number one thing. Yeah. Um, and whether it's a flood or whether it's just a trickle that maybe got something wet. I mean, either way, it's you know once you get water in there, um, it it's something that you typically should be corrected. Um, and the sooner the better. <laughs> the sooner the better. Yeah. So. But as I was saying, I mean, the, this, as a seller, you, you, you don't have to fill out this form. Mm -hmm. um, it's not required. And, <laughs> you know, if you're working with a real estate agent and they want you to fill it out, you should maybe think about whether you, you should do that or not. Mm -hmm. Because the consequences of filling it out wrong right. or failing to disclose something or maybe, you know, oh, I had water once in my basement during a you know, big storm. Do I need to put that on the form? Well, no, the real estate agent might say, no, you don't have to because it was just once. You know, it's not a defect or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, my my mantra is over-disclose totally. on these things. Um, mm -hmm. And if it's something that you're questioning um, whether or not you should disclose it, you probably should. Right. And I think one thing, you were talking about big picture. And I think it's difficult when you are selling a house and you've got a number in your head of what you think your house is worth and realizing that I might have to take a little bit off of that when I disclose this defect rather than not disclosing and just paying a ton in attorney's fees and to fix it later on. Yeah, and that's, again, that's something that not everybody is really thinking about, and mm -hmm. that's maybe something that I overanalyze when, as a, as a <laughs> litigator um, because I see these cases come to us after the fact. Right. And, you know, if you could have... I, I guarantee you, people, clients that we've had, if they could have gone back in time and you know maybe gotten ten thousand dollars less for their property and yes. just went ahead and disclosed something, and, and most people are trying to be honest. Right. I mean, very few people are intentionally misrepresenting things. Right. This is not the, the case here, but um, you know they don't necessarily. They think they're doing the right thing, right. and it turns out um, that. You know, their future homeowners have uh, have water, and now yeah. they want someone to pay for it. And like you said, it's a lot of yes and no for pretty serious and complicated issues. So, right. you know, there might be a, a maybe or a sometimes, and you don't know where that falls into. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it's important to keep that in mind um, when you're you know, going through this process that you may 
you may want to consult an attorney and not just a realtor before mm -hmm. you start filling out documents. And my understanding is that a lot of listing agents will have their their sellers fill these things out mm -hmm. when they are retained. You know, so they they sign their listing agreement with the, the real estate agent, and then they go ahead and I'll go ahead and fill out the real estate condition report right away, so we have that in our file. Um, yeah, is that a good idea? <laughs> Uh, I would say no, yeah. it's not. It's a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that is, is because um, when down the line, if something happens and something, either you didn't disclose mm -hmm. something that you probably should have, and maybe it was through no fault of your own, or, you know, the buyer finds something that they think you should have disclosed. Either mm -hmm. way, if the buyer is suing you and you've made this, this disclosure, Prior to them signing the offer to purchase, mm -hmm. um, you know you've you've made a representation at that point, right. which induced them. It's a kind of a complex legal work, but you've induced yeah. them now to make to enter into a contract based on your representation. Um, so I think you know if you're going to fill one of these condition reports out, mm -hmm. at a minimum, wait until the offer to purchase is signed. Right. And what do you think about? Because obviously, you know buyers have an inspector come in and look at everything. What do you think about maybe having an inspector come in and point things out to you so you even things that you don't know about now you can disclose? From the buyer side? Yeah, or from the seller from side. From the seller side. And that's that's certainly something you can you can do, especially if you have an issue mm -hmm. um, like something that's really complex, you know, we're not just talking about does the furnace work? Mm -hmm. um, yes, you know that you turn it on or off, right? But yeah. if you have I don't know bowing walls in your, yeah. your basement or something like that, something that a layperson really can't troubleshoot, mm -hmm. uh, you have the option of having a professional come in and do an inspection. And if you do that, they can you know you should have them prepare some type of report, mm -hmm. um, and then you could attach that to this disclosure report in lieu of answering yes or no. Right, you can say. Um, you know, I went ahead and got this report, and here's what this expert says. I'm not making this representation. Right. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a basement expert, but I went ahead and had yeah. somebody come in, and this is what they said. So then at that point, you know, that provides you a little bit of cover. Totally. As the seller. Yeah. So let's say that you buy a house, and things were not properly disclosed, whether it was intentional or not. What do you do? What do you go from there? So, you know, from the buyer's side, I think you have some options depending on what information you have. So if, if the sellers didn't disclose something and you have reason to believe that they were aware of an issue, mm -hmm. you know, if you discover something was covered up or something was um, maybe not taken care of that should have been, um, you potentially have claims. Mm -hmm depending on the circumstances under, there's various statutes and also um, other claims that you could bring against the seller. Um, at that point, you know, if you do discover an issue that you think you may have some type of legal remedy for, you certainly want to consult with a lawyer about that. Mm -hmm. um, because you have to kind of think about it, a lot of different factors. You know, one is, is it too late? Have, okay. you know, has it been too long to bring this type of claim? That's always a big one. Yeah, yeah. Um, two, the cost is a big one too, because if you're going to pay legal fees 
to somebody um, to pursue these claims, you know, would it be better to just instead put that money towards fixing the issue? Right. And that's kind of, I think, with the smaller ones, something that comes up quite a bit, or with the smaller defects, at least. Right. And I mean, for for first-time homeowners, this is the biggest investment of their life. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, it's the first time they've had to deal with these issues and they don't, you know, they're they don't know what to do because maybe they can't afford to fix right. a leaky basement or whatever the issue is, and they want someone else to pay for it. Um, you know, no one is ever guaranteed to recover, though. When you if you sue somebody, that doesn't mean you're going to get paid. So right, and you might end up paying a lawyer a lot more than you you know than the case is worth. Right, and well, and I was going to say it doesn't mean that you're going to get lawyer fees just because you sue. Um, Right. And I mean, some of the, there are some of the statutes that have uh, fee shifting provisions is what we call them. And Mm -hmm. in the law in general, in civil cases, you know, each side pays their own fees. Mm -hmm. So if I were to sue Bree because she breached a contract. Not again. Not again. uh, Then I have to pay my legal fees and she has to pay her legal fees Mm -hmm. unless... There's a either statutory provision which says if I win, I get my legal fees back, mm-hmm. or if there's a contractual provision that says if I win, I get my legal fees back. Right. And we call that the American rule, um, where each side pays their own fees. Okay, so that's what buyers can do. Now, what if you sold your house and someone sues you? Yeah, and that happens. Um, yeah. It certainly happens. I mean, I see a, a lot of that, but, you know, it's because I'm a litigator and right. deal with these types of cases. But I'm, I'm sure in the vast majority of real estate transactions, there isn't a lawsuit involved after the fact. But it does mm-hmm. happen. And a lot of the times, the first time you know, the seller hears about it is they'll receive uh, a letter from a lawyer or a contact from the buyer that says something about, Oh, you know, we had water in our basement, and here's how much it's going to cost to fix it. Yeah. And you should have known about it, and we want you to pay for it. And we call that, as lawyers, a demand letter. (laughs) (laughs) SOS. Yes, SOS. So a lot of times that's the first time the sellers hear about it, Mm -hmm. is they'll get a letter from a lawyer that says, um, pay me this money, or I'm going to sue you. Yeah, and... You're kind of stuck in a spot then where you either have to pay them or pay a lawyer to fight it. Yes, and that's that's kind of the rub is that as from the seller's point of view, you know, this isn't something that um, you would necessarily have insurance to cover. I mean, a lot of people think, well, I have I had homeowner homeowners insurance, mm-hmm. so this should cover that. And you know what we've seen, and it's not necessarily something we agree with from the defense side, but a lot of insurance companies will not pay your lawyer fees to defend you in these cases. Yeah. Um, you're on your own, basically, um, and that's unfortunate, but, you know, the choice is, you know, do you hire a lawyer to help you in the case, or do you pay them something to go away, mm-hmm. or do you pay them everything to go away? Um, that's often the really tough yeah. position that sellers are put in after the fact. Yeah, and your your hands are pretty much tied up that point unlike buyers who can at least make the choice of do I want to go forward or not if you get a demand letter you are going forward (laughs) yeah defendants usually don't have choices um, to get involved in litigation Mm -hmm. Um, they are 
you know, they're either in the process of being sued or being sued, and yeah. um, then they are, you know, they need help. Is there any time that the realtor could be on the hook? You know, could buy or sell or buy or sue the realtor as well? They can, yeah. And some, you know, there's certain standards that realtors have to follow, and those are governed by the Wisconsin Administrative Code. Mm-hmm. The realtor's lobbying agency has done a pretty good job of limiting some of the types of claims that um, people can bring against them, uh, but they still are, you know under some, they have certain standards that they have to follow and they can't be negligent in how they perform their duties. So yes, there are claims that you can bring against realtors. Great, and when this gets going, when the train starts on the tracks of litigation, what's all involved? How involved do you need to be if you are suing the previous owner of your house? Uh, Very involved. So litigation is not for the faint of heart, and no. it's not for people who just want to sit back and you know take the backseat type of approach. You're going to have to participate in the mm-hmm. case if you're the plaintiff side, typically the buyer, mm-hmm. um, on these types of cases. Then you, you're going to have to be the one that prosecutes the case. So you have to hire an expert to come in and inspect the property and give an opinion about what needs to be done to fix it or to prove that there was some type of misrepresentation or something that should have been disclosed that wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's your obligation as the plaintiff on the buyer side is to do that. From the seller side, um, you never want to ignore this type of thing. So you can't mm-hmm. ignore a demand letter. You can't ignore a summons and complaint. Yeah. If you do, then you lose. Um, yeah. You don't want to be in the situation where you've waited too long to respond to something like this. And now um, the plaintiff's side can, if you don't respond, they can take what's called a default judgment against Mm -hmm. you. So um, that just means that you win uh, as the plaintiff by default because the other person hasn't filed an answer. Yeah. And that's not good. (laughs) Right. So it's always um, a good idea to hire a lawyer to at least uh, to advise you and to respond on your behalf uh, for these types of claims. Yeah, it's a little different than than in criminal litigation where the complaining witness really kind of does take a backseat unless trial comes around. You know, they don't have to answer interrogatories or do depositions or anything like that. So it's a little different that both parties um, are so heavily involved. Yeah, civil litigation is, is a lot different from mm-hmm. criminal type of cases in that regard. I mean, there's certainly, there's no, if you're the plaintiff in a civil case, the state isn't representing you. Right. You're, you're represented by your own lawyer or you're representing mm-hmm. yourself and you have to do everything that a lawyer would do for you. Whereas on, also on the defense side, in civil litigation, you are not represented by a public defender. No. The state isn't going to pay for you to you know be represented, even if you can't afford a lawyer. Yeah. Unfortunately, in most circumstances, you are you know, you're on either on your own, when we call that pro se, mm-hmm. uh, if you're representing yourself, or if um, you're representing or represented by a lawyer, it's going to be a private lawyer that you're paying for. It's time for the definition of the day. 
We're talking today about the term as is. Yeah, and I got my trusty Black's Law Dictionary here. Which is the Bible of legal dictionaries. Right, I think it's in the ninth edition of the Black's Law Edition. I'm not sure if that's the latest one, probably not. <laughs> but in any case, I'm sure as is hasn't changed all that much. Mm-hmm. So as is is in the existing condition without modification. That's the simple definition. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Generally, a sale of property, quote, as is, means that the property is sold in existing condition, and use of the phrase as is relieves the seller from liability for defects in that condition. Are you seeing more and more real estate being sold as is with the current housing market? Definitely not. Okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) But it's something to definitely think about from the seller's point of view. Now, there's... You have to be careful because a lot of people say, well, I sold it as is, and mm-hmm. it could be a piece of property, or, or it could be a car, or it could be anything, but um, as is doesn't always relieve you of all liability as a seller mm-hmm. because what, what we've seen come up is um, a lot of times these as is clauses in real estate contracts or any type of contract are added in kind of after the fact. Mm-hmm. So everyone signed the agreement and you know somebody something happens where they somebody wants to change it and they want to insert an as-is clause later because you know so maybe the other side is giving something up you know they wanted something fixed and now they're saying yeah don't bother fixing the roof um just give us a credit and then you know we're and the other side says fine but now you're buying it as is Mm -hmm. well the problem with that is that all of the representations that were made prior to the as-is clause Mm -hmm. being inserted are basically fair game. Yeah. So, um, because you can still get, you know, a, a fraud in the inducement type of claim or something like that. If you've made a representation, mm-hmm. you can't take it back by just inserting that an pesky form. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to be careful. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna sell something as is, uh, do it right away. You know, list it as is, and mm-hmm. then don't go to the property and explain to the the buyer. How great everything is, yeah, and how clean the basement is, and all of these other things. You know, you, mm-hmm. you sell it as is. You state that in the beginning, and then you say nothing. Yeah, and that's the way to do it. Let's play. Please advise. So we've got three different hypotheticals here, and Russ, you are going to uh, give some off the cuff. Advice, if that's even a real thing that can happen. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. I am in the process of selling my home. There's a small crack in the foundation of my house that I've had an engineer look at. The engineer told me the crack is insignificant and unlikely to result in any damage. My realtor is telling me the crack does not need to be disclosed to the buyer. What do I do? Well, this is a great example of, I think, what we touched on a little bit earlier in the podcast. Um, if you have an engineer that gives you a report, mm-hmm. you absolutely disclose that. Right. You attach it to your 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 property condition report or the real estate condition report, and say, "I've had an engineer look at this, and here's what the engineer says." Mm-hmm. Now, now you've not made that representation. You've had a professional look at it, and you've disclosed it. So I would say, disagree with the realtor, disclose it. Okay. Attach the report. Perfect. Situation number two, due to the market, I had no choice but to waive inspection on a home that my family both wanted and needed. 
One month after moving in, we discovered major problems with the home that will cost us $200,000 to repair. What do I do? Um, number one, you want to call a lawyer. Yeah. Because you want to make sure that you're preserving all of your options. And mm -hmm. one of those options could be to um, consider whether you have a claim against the seller. Yeah. Um, because of something like that, uh, $200,000 repair is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money. All right. Situation number three. Oh, can I add one oh. more thing about that? Sorry. Yes, you're allowed to. No, so you've, you've I think the kind of the trick on this one is you've waived your inspection contingency. Yeah. Um, so that may or may not, I mean, it certainly affects what kind of claim or I guess the potential for success on what type of claim you could bring. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you couldn't bring a claim against somebody. Okay. Just because you've waived the inspection. Um, it kind of depends on the facts, so we need more facts. Mm -hmm. So they might have disclosed something in the report that's not accurate. Correct. That pesky report again. <laughs> you certainly have what we call a reasonable reliance problem. I okay. Mean, if, if something was disclosed, for example, and you went ahead with it anyways, mm -hmm. and you didn't get an inspection done, um, then was your reliance on whatever it was disclosed reasonable? Mm -hmm. um, and, that, you know, that certainly affects the potential for success. But it mm -hmm. not, doesn't necessarily foreclose your ability to sue the seller. So this is definitely a, a talk to a lawyer because it seems unclear. It's pretty, yeah, <laughs> more complicated. A little bit of the gray area there. Yeah. All right, situation number three. This one's kind of the stickiest one in my opinion. I bought my parents' home from them so they could move into a senior living facility. We utilized forms we found on the internet to facilitate the sale. As it turns out, my parents were not honest with me about the plumbing in the home, and it will cost fi about $15,000 to make repairs. Here's the catch. My parents are both suffering from early onset Alzheimer's, so I don't know if they were intentionally dishonest. What do I do? That is a very difficult question to You're answer. kind of in a bind. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of different issues there. Mm -hmm. If the parents are suffering from early onset Alzheimer's, then we have to consider, did they even have the capacity, number one, to, to make a disclosure? Right. Or even the capacity to sell the home? Right. Um, so that is, it sounds like a big problem for the, the buyer there mm -hmm. to think about those types of things. And anytime you're dealing with family, um, it's, it's a mess. It's a, it can be a mess. Yeah. So you need to be really careful when these types of things, you know, go through. It's often, it seems like a friendly transaction and then something comes up and it can really tear a family apart. So it's really, yeah. really kind of a step-by-step, -step, take it slow talk to a lawyer, mm -hmm. um, have your parents get counsel too before mm -hmm. you consider suing your parents. I mean, it's a big it, thing to do. <laughs> it sounds terrible, but it yeah. happens. I mean, families yeah. get involved in lawsuits and um, it's the outcome is usually never good for either side. No, no. And I think one thing too that people don't always realize until they're in the situation is money can make people do things that they wouldn't normally do. Definitely. Especially big amounts of money. Yeah, and especially where, I mean, this hypothetical doesn't have it in there, but um, if you bought the house from your parents, did you have other siblings? And now how right. is that going to affect your relationship with your siblings if you've, one, maybe gotten a good deal on this house, mm -hmm. or two, now you want to try to sue your parents? Yeah. Probably not a great way to, to um, preserve a relationship with family. Probably not. All right. Well, thanks so much, Russ, for sitting down with us and talking a little bit about buying and selling homes. It's a 
little bit of a hot topic right now. <laughs> yeah, you're, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Zealous. This series is brought to you by Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If you think you need a lawyer, contact us at grgblaw.com. Tune in for our next episode, where we talk with the Brown of Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown. Thomas Brown himself will be here to share some insights and stories he's accumulated over the years. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode of Zealous.